like you to open your Bibles with me to the uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Great text in the Word of God that unveils to us that wonderful day in which our Lord transformed the Passover meal into the Lord's table. I always look forward to these services when we remember Christ. Don't you? Don't you, church? Yeah, amen. Um, when I was in college, uh, the church that I was a member of practiced closed communion, which I never understood, even when I was a boy. It's like if the Apostle Paul was reincarnated and showed up, they wouldn't let him take communion with him because he wasn't a, a member of that local church. And so, I don't get that. And I joined uh, another church in college because I spent most of the year, of course, in college, and there were, neither one of them believed in dual membership, so they wouldn't let me do that. And the church we joined only celebrated the Lord's table at Christmas and at Easter. Now, let me ask you a question. Where are college students at Christmas and Easter? At home. And I was at a church that wouldn't let me join them. And so for all those years in school, I spent six happy years getting through four years of college. No, that's not true. And uh, for all those years in Bible college, I didn't get to take the Lord's table. And since then, I got to tell you, I was just uh, broken and humbled that I could not remember Christ with God's people. And since then, in the last 40 years, 44, this has become a very special time to me that I never take for granted. And I want you to hear the words of our Savior in Mark chapter 14, verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread blessed and broken, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, and for those who love hymns, they hadn't written them yet. So don't take that word to mean what it means in our culture. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Would you join me in talking to our lovely Lord? Father... I could not possibly talk to you if it were not for what took place this day long ago when Jesus in portrait form and then a few days later, just shortly thereafter, in actual bodily form became my sacrifice on Calvary's tree. And not mine only, but for the sins of the whole world. Father, I cannot help but rejoice that our Lord did not just die for a select few, but for all mankind. 
And I praise you for the depth and breadth and height of that love. And I pray that any here today who have yet to understand how valuable that love is, how marvelous and deep and expansive it is that it reaches to every individual in every age, I pray that today those who have failed to understand or believe that will come to know my Savior, whose body was sacrificed, whose blood was spilled long ago. Don't let this be just another communion service. Help us rather, my Father, to celebrate and rejoice and be grateful for the great price that our Redeemer paid to purchase us and to present us ultimately spotless to you. We long for that day to come and pray for that day to come. Until then, we need help. Give us help that we need as we open your book together today in Jesus' name. And all who care to said, Amen. Please be seated. The Lord's table, called by some communion, called by others the Eucharist, most often called in our circles the Lord's table. And I know that there are people who want to pick and find fault with different titles for the Lord's table. It's amazing to me what people are willing to fight over. Isn't it you? Talk to me. Isn't it you? That's phenomenal to me. There's value in each of those terms. Communion carries the idea of union and oneness. And if anything brings us together, it's the body and blood of Christ. Eucharist. It's just a term that speaks of thanksgiving. And at that first Lord's table, the Lord Jesus himself, at the outset of it, gave thanks before he gave bread. And he knew what that bread stood for. And there's a whole sermon in this. He gave thanks for the body that he knew was about to be sacrificed on the cross. And so, my goodness, if it's ever a time to be celebrated and give thanks, it's at the Eucharist the Lord's table. And of course, we call it the Lord's table because often some of our traditional translations of the Bible have that at the heading, and it was a transition from Passover to a new table, a new celebration, and we'll talk about that in a bit. So whatever you choose to call it, know there's value in each of those names, and there's room to celebrate. What I want to do is to help you see this morning maybe some things you never took note of before. Or maybe you have, and this is just a refreshing thing for you. But I want you to see what surrounded the text that we looked at for the Lord Jesus. Watch this. Before he celebrated the Lord's table, he was surrounded by opposition. And it's really interesting where the opposition came from in the opening part of this 14th chapter. And Mark and the other Gospels speak to it as well. It started out in this whole scenario where some were indignant among themselves. And the reason they were indignant in verse 5 in the opening part of the chapter is that what was, uh, what was given and lavished on the Lord might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Now, look this way. What on earth is happening here? 
Those of you who know the context know that there's a woman who has entered the house where Jesus is and his disciples. And she has taken this most unbelievably expensive jar of perfume. And she's broken the jar and poured its entire contents on the feet of the Lord Jesus. And then she kneels down and you can almost see her, can you not? Maybe she knew, maybe not what was coming. But she was preparing him for his burial. And so with humility, she knelt as low as she could. And she didn't take a towel out of the kitchen drawer. She took her hair and she wiped the feet of my blessed Redeemer. And in the background, I hear the people saying, would that I had thought to do that for our lofty, lovely Lord. Where's somebody saying, that's not what's in the text. Oh no. Instead of them lavishing on him the best that they had and abandoning all for him because of his, their view of him as the God of glory and the glory of God in their presence, instead of them adoring him with the best they had, some in his presence became indignant. Watch this. You know who the indignant some were? Sure you do. They were the disciples. The men who had just been his small group for two or three and a half years. The men that he had taught. The men whom he had discipled. The men that he showed the truth to like no one else. He unveiled things in parabolic form to explain to them truth that was hidden to others. They got it. When it came to the big hour, <laughs> they were indignant. Now watch this. I never saw this little phrase before. Among themselves. Isn't that so human? Isn't that so fallen in nature? They didn't go to the Lord and open to them their heart and say, Lord, help us understand Instead, they indignantly had conversations among themselves saying, how horrible. What's so bad? Here's what's so bad. What she did could have been sold for 300 denarii, that expensive perfume. She's wasted on the God of glory. They didn't see him that way at that moment. They wasted it on a man, albeit our Lord. When it could have been sold and given to the poor. Now, denarii was, uh, was equivalent to about the wage of an unskilled man for one day. And when you, when you add 300 days, it was about 80% or close to 80% of a full-wage salary of an unskilled person. That's a lot of money, especially for perfume. Right, guys? Right, cows? Yeah. 
I didn't get the equivalent response, I'll tell you. Would you hear? How could you waste it like that when it could have been given to another? Do you not know that that sounds so good? And that's the way the angel of light or darkness works. The evil one makes it sound holy, that which is unholy. And so is all his disciples. In fact, challenged Christ's character at that moment. How could you allow her to waste that on yourself? Says something about the Lord Jesus. Only they weren't honest enough to say it outwardly to him. And then, the one who's at the heart of it is exposed as the text flows on in verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him. Listen, we've had a number of kids born, in, babies born into our church family the brief time Elaine and I have been here. Do you know what I've noticed? Not one of them named their kid Judas. Is that strange or what? Do you know what the name Judas means? It means he shall be praised. It's a good name. If you take that to mean he shall be praised. But Judas has so transformed that name and changed the paradigm, changed the meaning of it, that whenever you think of Judas, you don't think he shall be praised. What you think is, he shall be condemned. By the way, the word Iscariot just means a man from a city called Kiriath. And so he shall be praised, this man from the city of Kiriath. No, he is not one to be praised. In fact, his name is transitioned in some places to where it is now relabeled son of Kiriath, no, son of perdition, which means son of destruction. He shall be praised, no, he shall be destroyed. For what reason? For being the betrayer of our Lord, who when he couldn't get 80% of a man's wages, in his pouch, he went looking for just 30 pieces of silver, not even a day's wage to put in his pouch. And so the Lord was surrounded by opposition. Those closest to him opposed him. And then you read in verse 11, when they heard it, who were they? That's the religious leaders of the day who had been trying to plot what they could do to bring this one down, the Lord Jesus, who was taking all their following and gathering too many. In fact, they thought the whole world is following him, which couldn't have been further from the truth. Multitudes never follow him. It's only a few who are on the narrow road that become his followers, y'all. 
yet they hated him because they perceived him to draw their crowds away. So they were glad and promised to give him money. So those closest to him and those religious leaders who should have been closest to him because they, above all, knew the scriptures, they opposed him. So just file this, in the context around the Lord's table, he was surrounded by opposition, opposition from those close. Don't leave it there. He was also focused on mission. I want to take you, if you want to flip there, you can, but it'll be on the screen as well, to Matthew, the 26th chapter, who when he records preparation for the Passover adds a phrase that Mark doesn't have in the 14th chapter. Mark does share that the Lord sent his disciples into the city to meet a person who when you find, say, my Lord has need of your house to celebrate the Passover. That's in Matthew and in Mark. But here's what's in Matthew that was not in Mark. Say to him, the one who owns the house where we'll celebrate the Passover, say to him, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house. Quick word about my time that is at hand. He could have used one Hebrew word which spoke of a moment or a time or a specific hour of the day. And if you know anything about the Passover, you know that they celebrated it in specific orders at specific times. On Thursday of Passover week, they killed the lamb, the Passover lamb, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They roasted it for several hours and then ate the lamb specifically at 9 o'clock at night. And so when the apostles were told, say to him, my time is at hand, all they were thinking is 3 o'clock and 9 o'clock. But they didn't pay attention because Jesus didn't use the Hebrew word for specific hour. He used the Hebrew word for epic moment brought to pass or, or uh, brought to climax by crisis. And i got to tell you, the moment at hand that he's talking about is not 6 o'clock or 9 o'clock or 3 o'clock. It's the moment that eternity past and eternity future looks toward and back to. It's the epic crisis moment when from the past in Eden, God made absolutely clear, if you're with me still, God made absolutely clear, my beloved, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent who will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. It's moving all the time toward that crisis moment. And when it appeared that Satan had won on the cross, Christ crushed the head of that woman. Crisis then you move on past that time to our time and move beyond it into eternity future. And the book of Revelation talks about the saints, which is us, my beloved. In heaven itself, we will be singing the song of the souls set free. 
And when we do, that song will include words like these. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. It looks back to the time, time, epic moment, crisis that was at hand. When evil and good collided in the cross. When Lucifer and God in the person of his son were in crisis time. So Jesus looked back and didn't just say, well, it's time for me to die. It's time that moment that all eternity, past and future, looks to. And that's what the Lord's table does. Jesus knew that his mission was to get to that epic and he let nothing distract him from it. When one of his own said, Be it far from you, Lord, he knew what was at stake. And he said, Get behind me, say it. Satan. Epic moment. And then around that scene, Jesus was committed to transition. At the Passover meal, he transitioned it into a new kind of meal, one that celebrated a new people and a new covenant based on a new relationship through the Son of God, not through the law, but through grace. Amen? This is powerful stuff. I love, he said, take, eat. This is the bread, the unleavened bread, that symbolizes deliverance from Egypt. No, 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 a thousand times no. That's what the Passover did. He transformed it, he transitioned it from what it had been all those centuries since that wonderful, marvelous deliverance from Egypt at the Red Sea. He now says, I'm transforming it, transitioning this celebration into a far greater deliverance. Not deliverance from Egypt and Pharaoh and bondage and enslavement on earth, but deliverance from that which enslaves your heart. Deliverance from a greater bondage. Deliverance from your sin. What a transition. So distinct, so new. Take eat, this is my body that will be the sacrifice made, not weekly, daily, or annually, but once and for all. For God had said through Paul's pen in Hebrews, great statement, I am done with the blood of turtle doves and pigeons, bullocks and lambs. Now once and for all, the lamb is sacrificed. <laughs> what a transition. Doesn't even compare with the old. And then he adds, this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant, new relationship. 
So what's happened here? You talk about transition that was painful for the people of that moment and that day. Hugely painful. They had relied on bringing their own offerings to the priest and those offerings being made to God on their behalf. And now he says and just announces. And it's prophetically announced they should have known. But he's the first to come and say the time is at hand right now. That's done. It's transition time to something far distinct, something far better, and something much newer. Transition from the old to the new. You think transition's tough for you today on stuff that really doesn't matter. You should have been there that day when Christ said, I make it new. New covenant entering now. By the way, it's so distinct. Many have not understood, and there's an entire side of theology. If ever you run across it, I don't think it goes without saying here. It's good to warn you. There's an entire body of theology which is misunderstanding the difference between the old and new. The new is not something that just issues out of, in a sense, and adds to the old. The new replaces the old. So that the old covenant people that God stopped dealing with, namely his chosen Israel, he stopped dealing with when they cut their Messiah off on the cross. And for a period of time, he stopped dealing with them. He still has them in mind, but he stopped dealing with them under the old covenant and created an entirely new one for new people, which includes Jew and Gentile alike. And we know it now as the church. Thank you, Jesus. And don't muddle the two. Another way of putting it, we who love those old songs, it's like sometimes we didn't pay attention to what they said. Every promise in the book is mine, every jot, every tittle, every line. We sang that all our lives. Y'all, it's heresy. Every promise he made in the Old Testament to Israel is not a promise he made to you and me. We're the church. They're the Old Testament chosen. Please hang on to that. We're the new covenant people at the new table that he transitioned. Okay, your turn. So... This is cool to me. In the face of opposition, Christ was all in. What do you mean by that, Larry? When those that he had spent the most time with turned, criticized, tried to move him in a different direction, he refused to be moved. My Lord said, my time is at hand. And if it means I give up my relationships, I'm all in. I'll give up the best relationships that I have. Have you been there? 
not so arrogant as to believe that I in any measure understood what Christ has gone through. But I can tell you from a limited way, I've known what it is to have some of the dearest relationships of life broken because of truth that I know the book teaches. And it's at that moment where you must decide, as with Christ, am I all in, no matter what happens with relationships? That's a pretty phenomenal challenge, right? Right? What a model he said. When faced with a mission, Christ was all in. I already alluded to it. Not even Peter, one of the four closest to him out of the twelve, not even he could sidetrack him from the mission. No, God has called me to this mission of sacrificing myself. And to the mission, Christ was all in. We've got a biblical mission around here. Remove banners because some of you couldn't see. They're out in the front. Go take a look. What do they say? We're here to make disciples who make disciples. By reaching up, reaching out, reaching in. Mission that's thoroughly Bible. Christ was all in for his mission that none of us could fulfill but him alone. He's given us a mission to make disciples. The question is, am I all in like he was to the mission God's given me? And here's the last one. Faced with a transition, Christ was all in. As painful as it was to move from the old to the new. For us, it's like, why on earth didn't they get it? Seems to me, as I've looked back over 44 years of ministry now, churches are taken through seasons of transition. And that's a time when it's so easy not to be all in, but to bail. In the times and seasons of transition that are appointed from above and allowed from above, in those transition times, the question is, am I like Christ? All in. For him, it was an all or nothing thing. Now, I'm so glad he's patient with me, aren't you? You could say, yeah, he's patient with you, and so are we, Larry. I get it. I really do. He doesn't expect us to be perfectly all in today, but he sure expects us to be more in today than we were yesterday or last week, last month, last year. He expects growth in this all-in Christian walk. That's what the table is about. No matter what happens, I'm all in. So here's the so, to be like Christ. 
is to be all in. Just stand with me. Moment we're going to celebrate the Lord's table as we sing. The deacons will be coming to help serve us. But as we sing, the question you need to ask, and I need to ask before the Lord and before we receive the elements, is how in am I? Partially or all? Might be a good time just for you to breathe a prayer Lord, take my life. No matter what happens, I at this moment am all in. I commit that to you. Help me to live it out in this week. You might want to breathe that prayer in your seat or even come and kneel at the front and breathe that prayer to God. It's a special commitment to him, but be all in. And my friend, if you're here and have never understood what it means to have a relationship with God through the body and blood of Christ. Come and let someone in front meet with you and talk with you. We'll share with you how to be all in in this relationship.